Welcome to the ninth podcast in our First Peter sermon series, Through the Fire. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Bruce Bentley will be continuing our series with the sermon called Submit to Freedom. Welcome again, everyone. We are back into 1 Peter. We are in chapter 2. You see the theme on the screen through the fire, and the fire is getting hotter. And I'm going to tell you why it's getting hotter in just a second. Before I do that, I need to remind you just real quickly that that communion is is different. Uh, The way that we're doing communion here this morning, maybe you've already been a part of communion during the pandemic, but just so you know, in case you missed out, uh, there are little cups in the back where you probably entered. If you missed that on your way in, feel free to go back and grab one. They're set out apart. They're individually wrapped, so they're all self-contained and sealed and sanitary. Uh, We will be using those at the end of the message. If you're watching at home, uh, like we've done previously, we encourage you to join with. If you have uh, something to drink, juice or whatever, uh, the, it doesn't matter what the material is that, that you are uh, drinking. Just find something in the house to be a part of communion with us and a little bit of something, a little piece of bread is, will suffice uh, for this time that you can share with us. So when we get to that point in the service, I would encourage you at home as well to have something to drink, a little piece of bread or something to eat so you can join in with us, okay? And I'll give more instructions as we get to that point in the service. But back to 1 Peter chapter 2, the fire is getting hotter. What do I mean by that? Well, we're getting to the point where as Peter instructs us, believers, whether ancient believers as he was writing directly to or believers today, we're getting to the point where we have to make decisions, okay? It has been clarified for us that we are his people. We sang about that this morning, that we're children of God. He has set us apart as his unique and special and empowered group of people, aka the church, to be active for him in this world. And last week, we looked at the fact that there is a war going on. Now, as Peter said, it's a war that has to do with our flesh, with our bodies, with our desires. What are we doing with that? But that war extends. It's not just uh, like I have a shield around me and the war is all internal. It extends to the lives that we live and our interactions and the people that we have to to deal with, the authority structures over us. Uh, it, It just fans out. It ripples out the ripple effect, okay? So, there are decisions that we have to make, and that is sometimes not very difficult, or it sometimes is very difficult. It requires uh, a higher level of discernment and dependence on what God is doing. Uh, chapter 2, verse 12, we looked at last week, and uh, we kind of ended with this, that 
Peter says, so that when people speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your conduct uh, and your good deeds and glorify God. Uh, So we're going to connect that verse, people seeing us, seeing our deeds, glorifying God with where it is that he goes next and what we're looking at this morning, which, which has everything to do with submission to authority, authority structures that are over us. And this is where it gets hot because we have preferences and we have opinions and we have political leanings and all of these affect and uh, inform uh, and also kind of shape the way that we think about authority. Maybe, speaking of authority and politics, maybe you saw a presidential debate this past week. Anybody watch that? Or, or hear about it afterwards. I didn't actually watch it, but I, I listened to part of it uh, on the radio the next day. Uh, I was not encouraged. I was a little discouraged by what I heard, honestly, personally. Uh, I heard one uh, uh, reporter say, and when he was describing what the debate was like, he said this, it was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. Now, there's a whole lot of opinion there in that statement, uh, but I kind of lean towards that from what I heard. Yeah, I, I see dumpster fire and train wreck, and I heard it. And so no matter what your political background is, or whether you thought one candidate won over the other, or if you thought the processes are good or bad, at least it's not the old days, like our founding fathers, where they would have disagreements and they would go out and shoot at each other, right? Let's not forget that. That is part of our collective history, okay? That actually happened more than once. So maybe they're shooting at each other verbally, but when you look at it at that level, not a whole lot has changed with our political process. Uh, Maybe in some ways we were nicer than others at different times, but we've been a hot mess for a long time as a country. Can I just say it like that? That's been there. Maybe it's in the background or underneath the surface or we don't talk about it. Uh, But we've been struggling with authority and how to relate to authority and even those who are within the authority structure relating to each other. This has been a mess for a long time. And just every once in a while we see it and it blows up in our faces. So we have a message here that brings our focus right into submission and political authority and powers that are over us. He mentions emperor and governors, and he even says that we should honor the emperor, okay? So let's look at that passage and see exactly what he says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. There are many paradoxes that are presented uh, throughout Scripture, many of those that Jesus draws our attention to that he spoke about. To have life or to find life, you must lose it. That's one of Jesus' famous paradoxes. There are many of them. 
we typically don't like paradoxes because, well, what do you do with it? <laughs> You're stuck in a paradox, right? That's kind of the definition of the word. You don't know where to go with it. How do I then make a decision and move forward? But Scripture is filled with them because life is messy. We prefer black or white, right? We prefer an easy, straightforward answer, but many times we don't get that. We're handed something that is difficult. So as we go through this entire book, I want you to always keep in mind that statement. It's not about do this particular thing, respond in a legalistic or moralistic way, and you somehow gain favor with God, especially in this passage. We respond, hopefully, to what Peter is saying, what the Spirit of God is leading us to do. We respond in our actions with our lives real time because we are servants of God, because we're his children, because we have this imperative, many imperatives through this book, we have these imperatives on us to then do something with. So remember, what we do doesn't earn a special status with God. What we do is a result of the changed heart that we have because of God, okay? So I, I'm reminding you every week, we've got to keep that central in our thinking. Here's the great paradox in this passage. First of all, be subject to every human institution. That, there's a lot of weight to that, right? That sounds pretty demanding. And at the same time, Peter says, we are to live as people who are free. That's a paradox, how do you at one time, in one way, submit to every human institution and at the same time live as people who are free? Now, we all prefer one thing or the other. Most of us, as good, hearty Americans, want freedom all the time as we define it, right? The pursuit of freedom and happiness as I define it. We are all about our liberties, expressing them, living in them, enjoying them. So we kind of gravitate towards live as people who are free. I get that, and I like that idea. Yeah, I'm all about that. But then what do I do with the other part? And that's where, uh, as I said, it's getting hotter. That's where it gets hot real fast. As believers, yeah, I want to live free. I, I'll accept that. But how do I at the same time submit myself to every human institution? So this, I'm not saying this is an easy passage. It's not. Uh, and there is a paradox. And there are areas that are kind of gray that, that require us to, um, to lean on Christ and to also apply wisdom and discernment. So we need him as we, as we delve into this deeper. But we also need this. We've got to remember the context of what's going on, what Peter is saying to these first century believers. Because sometimes there are clear connecting points, you know, like our life is a lot like theirs. And sometimes the context takes us to a whole different place. This is not a Roman Empire. Uh, there are distinct differences when we look back to what Peter says. So just a quick reminder, we looked at this uh, this amazing graphic. I sent this down to the graphics department and they came up with this for us last Sunday. So we looked at this last Sunday. Um, the believers were just as a reminder of our context this morning, okay? The believers that Peter was talking to, 
They were most likely exiled out of Rome, sent to this far outskirt region of the Roman Empire. Uh, They were Jewish and Gentile backgrounds alike. They were believers, but because Christians weren't uh, an identified part of the Roman understanding of, of, you know, recognized religions, Christians weren't part of that, Jews were. So uh, there were probably believers that were lumped into the, or under the umbrella of Jewish believers, okay? So that adds to the confusion, but kind of helps us understand when Peter and how Peter talks, how that can make sense. Anyway, they were sent all the way out there to, you know, be uprooted and then planted, and then here's your new life. (laughs) Hope it works out. Actually, they probably didn't care, but there they are, and they've got to create a new life for their own benefit and for their family, and then for the gathered church as they help each other, as rely on each other. So certainly, as they are believers and calling on the name of Jesus Christ and worshiping him, certainly they would have been misunderstood. The Jews didn't like them, uh, and the Gentiles, the other people groups around them, when they would say who they believe in and, and why they believe in Jesus, no one would have understood that. Misunderstood group of people. Now, uh, because they were unofficially recognized and because they were misunderstood, they had the perfect situation that led eventually under Nero to official persecution. But what I believe is happening here is that that hasn't happened yet, okay? That's what I think is the best way to make sense of the timeline. The Claudius is the emperor, that there is this big question mark when the name Christus is mentioned, and what are these people about? What are they doing? Are they subversive? Should we trust them, or should we alienate them and stay away from these crazy weird things that they talk about? So official persecution hasn't started yet. And that influences directly the context and how we read this. Because later on, later uh, books that were written in the Bible, after Nero started, especially when you read John and what John in the book of Revelation and how he responded to Roman authority, uh, the picture changes quite dramatically. But we're not there yet. So we need to get our shoes in their, our feet in their sandals to, to see life and to see authority uh, the way that they would have most likely during that time, okay? So what's important for these exiles to know? Let's look at that. And then then from that, we'll put together uh, a better picture for us today, okay? What does Peter mean when he says, be subject in verse 13? Well, he's talking about submission, but he's talking about submitting to people in authority, no, we, when we read human, every human institution, that's a tough one. Uh, scholars uh, interpret that and even translate that in different ways. It could be, the, the very word that he used could be translated creature or creation. So when we read it, we read backwards, right? We understand human institution as uh, established government authorities or, or uh, groups of people that are telling us what to do, to pay our taxes, uh, to follow these rules and don't do that and so forth. But their experience would have been different in the first century. Uh, so I think the best way to, to begin this passage is what Peter is talking about is to remember that 
you know, and even most likely all these human institutions that we're used to interacting with all the time, whether it's state or, or county or uh, civic, those didn't exist, certainly not in the same way then. So what he's drawing their attention to is directly to those people, those individuals, those people that have been instituted by God and then he goes on to mention them directly, the emperor or governors, people, individuals. Think of these people, because they're probably the only people that you know of that you're familiar with, okay? So uh, that's important for us. We'll get there in a second to remember. Uh, there is no kind of general stamp of approval that God puts through Peter on every possible political or government institution. God's not doing that, and he's not telling that us that today. So hopefully that'll make more sense as we move along. And what is else does he say? So he says, submit, but also he says, do that for the Lord's sake. We are to submit for the Lord's sake, not for our immediate benefit, or even immediately for the benefit of that person, that governing authority that we are submitting to. The whole reason he's bringing this up is Jesus. And there is something that we need to be aware of, that we need to be seeing in the way that we respond that puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ. We submit for the sake of Jesus. We are to look to Jesus, for Jesus. So even if you find yourself in a position like certain these first believers did, I mean, we can't overstate it. The fact that they were exiled, they were uprooted, they lost their jobs, their, their means of income, providing for their families, all of what they knew was gone, and suddenly they are in this other place in, in the, the universe for them, this foreign place surrounded by foreign people. There is something going on that he's drawing their attention to that what's happening in your life is because of Jesus and your response should be for Jesus. And so easily, so quickly, we lose track of that, don't we? When I am told to do something that I don't want to do, and I think, or I even read a passage like this about submit to those authorities, I don't think about Jesus at that moment. And I'll bet you, you don't either. What, what is it, how is it that we react? This affects me right now, right? I don't like this. I'm going to do what I can do to subvert or to work around or to ignore or to get away with or whatever. And maybe you're not as evil as me, but that's, that's typically what I do. I, the, the first thought is me. How can I get through this so I benefit? And right away, Peter is saying, for Jesus' sake. So the first thought that he has is Jesus. Submit for Jesus' sake. What we ought to be thinking about in our response, what does this have to do with Jesus? So for the Lord's sake and understanding that there is more at stake, that leads right into that last point. What does he say in verse 15? For this, for this, all this submission stuff is for the will of God. 
There is something greater going on here than you every time. When it comes to the authority that God has placed above us and around us, we need to keep in mind that God's will is even greater than them. That he is, he is established and he is at work at something that at, at moments, at best, right? We get a glimmer, a glimpse of what it is that he may be doing. And at those moments, we really ought to stop and give glory to God. Because a whole bunch of our lives is, I wonder what God is doing, right? What, what, did he fall asleep? Uh, is he concerned that our, our human response is to question, could God really be doing something that's good? The will of God is greater and bigger and far more wonderful and complicated than we can ever fully appreciate and comprehend. His will will be accomplished. What is it that we are doing to align ourselves with what he's given us to do, whether it makes sense or not, whether there's an immediate benefit or not? He even goes on to say that there is some benefit uh, when we follow God's will that by doing good, in verse 15, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The people in, in, in Peter's time, they were surrounded, like I said, Gentiles, people, cultures, backgrounds that didn't understand what they're doing. If they focused not on what they hated about their situation, and resisting and pushing back, right? If they would focus instead on how can we, in this place that God has put us, how can we do good for other people? Then all of these rumors begin to subside, right? They're, they're weird. They talk about foreign things, about eating in flesh and drinking blood, and who knows what they do when they gather in that home together at dark, that kind of stuff, right? That's It's ignorance. They don't the outsiders, they, they don't know what's going on in the church. That if they, believers, establish themselves in good works, which he is emphasizing for us, then people around them begin to go, huh, well, that, look at how they're benefiting our community. Look at how they give back to help other people that aren't in their little group, in their own community, in their own fellowship. They, they act like they're one of us. How can this be? Well, they can't actually eat people and do these good things. That, that doesn't make any sense. They're creating something that God says is going to be blessed as part of his will. So when you find yourself in a place that's strange, surrounded by strangers, don't waste your time pushing back. Move forward by loving and giving and establishing yourself as somebody who's good, who does good things. And the ignorance of, of those that are standing against you will be silenced. So that's, that's part of what's going on in, in Peter. But let's move on here. What does Peter mean when he says, live as people who are free? So on the one hand, we submit, right? Three different things that he's talking about when it comes to freedom. Number one, freedom has a servant of, uh, of God, ID, smacked printed, labeled right on it. The freedom that we have as believers, as they had as believers, should be united with the service of people so that people can see it. 
That is the ID that we should have on as believers. Now, some of you noticed this morning that I have my ID on, okay? And, and a few of you pointed out, and those of you who didn't mention it looked at me and wondered, why is he wearing that? Because I never wear this. Did you notice it this morning? Like, why is he? Maybe you notice I don't, I'm not dressed like a scumbag, like I usually am, but also I have this, you know, this badge on. This is an actual police department badge. It's not like the, if, like if I was a sworn officer, I'd have a nice metal looking badge. I don't have that one. But this is an actual badge, whether it's metal or not. I did the background checks and I did all the things necessary so that when I am called out by the police department, I need to have this on. It's my official ID. So the department members, so the medical examiner, if I'm on a death scene or uh, other people, uh, other civilians like me, when they see me, they know I'm not just random nobody who wandered in and is, is sticking his nose to other people's business. They see my ID, and that sets me apart as somebody who is to do something official. Even as you notice me this morning, you're like, what? You, you, you respond to me, you react to me differently because I have an ID on. How many of you have an ID when you go to work every day? I mean, almost everybody has some kind of ID now. It's got a barcode on it so you can scan yourself in. It's security stuff. We've never been more... Uh, quote-unquote secure in, in our relationship with other people in the workplace than we are right now. We have to be. So many of you have an ID. It sets you apart as other people see you. Oh, you belong here. I understand a little bit more about you because you are identified in a certain way. It, the same thing is true for believers. We don't have a physical ID that we wear around our neck, but we have our works. We have our relationships, if you have them with people outside the church, we have the things that we can do that we should be doing that IDs us. We have the opportunity to act freely with those things. That's part of the paradox. Because so, I'm, I'm, I'm being real with you here, I've known a lot of people over the years that look at their faith as a Christian as simply fire insurance to get themselves out of hell. They went through the process. They said the prayer, and now I'm part of the frozen chosen. I can sit aside or sit back and, and do, well, basically nothing until I'm dead. That's not us. That's not this church. That's not what Peter is telling us. We are set aside not because we go occupy a, a space in a building for a couple hours every week. No, no. We're set aside, we're ID'd, people know what it is that we're about and who we believe in because of the works that we show, the things that we do, and we are free to choose to do that. The, the, the specifications, uh, the, the details, okay, what am I supposed to do? That's up to you. That is part of our ongoing uh, connection with the Holy Spirit, to be responding to the things that he has for us to do, the things that you have to do, that you are uniquely gifted and arranged and, and put together to do, you best be doing them. You have the freedom to do it, but you need to be doing it. So let, let's move on here. Freedom is not what the world thinks it is <laughs> that connects right with that. We drag our opinions 
from the world that we're from, right? Freedom means, even the way I read the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence, all those documents, freedom means I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want to, and don't you dare get in my face and tell me otherwise. There's no way their founding fathers approached all, any of those documents like that. Whether they were believers or not, we could argue about that, and I'm not going to argue about that. But I'm certain, if you look back in history, the reason and the, the thinking behind all of this declaration of freedom and liberty still had obligation and responsibility tied to it. Because a free society cannot be a free-for-all. It never can. It just doesn't work. And if we try to approach our liberties and our freedoms today with that kind of secular mindset, that I'm free, I do whatever I want, whenever I want to, uh, then our society crumbles. The same as is true for believers within the fellowship and what we do with what we believe. We are not free to just do whatever, licensed to do whatever, and we're not free to do nothing, to sit at home and be there and be happy until I'm dead. Those are two extremes that are not open to a believer as you live in and express your freedom. The responsibility, because of who we are, is still there. And freedom, all of this freedom that we enjoy as believers, comes with a price tag. We didn't read on to verse 21, but Peter goes on to say, we'll, we'll get into this next week, for to this you've been called, what it is that we've been called to do in suffering in Christ's name, because, verse 21, Christ also suffered for you. He has set for us the example. What he has done for us on the cross enables us to have freedom, Freedom from sin, freedom from all that you've done and all that's been done to you has been gained by the cross. Jesus suffered for you. Now we have our response that we need to walk into freely because of Christ. So we look to Jesus for the ultimate example of freedom and what freedom and servanthood looks like as they are united. That is the price tag that comes with it. So those are things, uh, at least in Peter's time, that affect our understanding of authority, and they begin to you know, inform our understanding of how we respond to authority. So what's the message for us? First of all, Jesus wants to save people, and he wants to use us to do it. It doesn't get any more basic and more simple than that. And all, the, all these things that we want to do and all this time that we can spend trying to emphasize my freedom and my authority and Christ set me free, all of we, what we enjoy is there because of Christ's ultimate plan to use us to reach people. There is no option B with Jesus and his kingdom. We are option A and we're the only option. Jesus came not to judge but to save. And these people, even these people in authority that you may not like and you may question what they're doing and all of their policies and all these different government things that happen that are out of our control, there are people in there that are serving. There are people that are dysfunctional and messed up. Yep. But there are also people that want the best 
for you and for this city and for this county and for this nation. Pray for them that God would get their attention and save them. God wants us to submit to authority and in our doing good, the light comes on and somebody else, maybe a number other, of other people get saved. Do you, when you, especially when you're frustrated with the authorities that we have, do you ever stop and say, Jesus, get my brain straight and align my heart with your priorities? There is somebody here that needs you and maybe I'm a part of that mission to their hearts and minds and lives. Jesus, I pray that you would use me, that you would use others to get their attention and, and point them to you, Lord. That's how we gotta be praying, not, not getting stuck in our own agendas, uh, but to see the greater agenda of what's going on. Paul said it this way, not Peter, but Paul, when he write, wrote to the Corinthians, said this, for though I am free, I'm free, for from all I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you see submission and freedom together? I do. And the way, there's, there's the paradox. He is free. He's free from all, but he sees the opportunity and the blessing of using that freedom in whatever way necessary to lay down and submit in order that Jesus could be seen and somebody could come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, there's no, I don't know if there's any better way to put it than exactly how Paul said it. Peter is in the same line of thinking. Let's wrap this up here. Acknowledging the differences and giving due respect. Uh, that last verse that we read, it, you know, I, I don't believe Peter meant it to be complicated, but scholars make it complicated, and, and maybe sometimes we either read it. Uh, it it's just so general. It's kind of like his PowerPoint and the bullet points, okay, uh, that we kind of stumble over. So because it's bullet point form, you can't, you can't read between the lines. You can kind of see a general idea. Verse 17 says, honor, at least in my translation, if you have NIV, it reads differently. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Uh, so I think NIV has a good point because it uses, instead of honor in the first part, it says respect. Uh, there are, it's a complicated deal there with translation, but I think respect may be a better word to use instead of the ESV. There, I said it. ESV didn't get something right. But who, what do I know? Um, anyway, so probably respect is better. And I see in that uh, there is a kind of a balanced bullet point way that he ends that passage. And I say, do respect, okay? So I think there's a balanced form. Socially, what's going on? 
respect everyone, yet love the brotherhood. There, there is a connection there that I think that is in the language and important for us to understand. Everyone, in context of authorities, respect them all, whether you like to, whether you want to, whether you think they deserve it. Giving due respect to those in authority because they're in authority is something that a believer should do every time. But he balances that idea in the social realm with love the brotherhood. So he's acknowledging it's different. He knows it's different. Those who are in, in, in positions of authority, they're not part of the church. They're not, maybe they're not a believer, and there's, there isn't that fellowship connection as believers. So, yep, there's a difference there. It doesn't mean you have license to hate somebody in authority or reject their authority. He's saying respect them. God's put them there. But at the same time, that, yep, that is different because our need right now as a church is to love, and there is a difference there. So that's the social situation. What does he go on to say? Fear God, honor the emperor. It's not, so, it's not the same social realm. It's more of the authority realm of the people that are over you. Fear God. In other words, respect God as God. Worship God. Fear, another way to say it is reverence, Okay. Uh, there are times where maybe it is, you know, acceptable and the right thing to do to actually fear because God is in control and I'm not. Uh, and that may bring uh, a bit of fear into our hearts. I think that every once in a while, that's a good thing. But also the idea of reverence and awe, it's a big idea when he says fear God, all right? But at the same time, honor the emperor. The emperor is not God. The emperor is not equal to God. He's giving him a due place that is a responsible, appropriate place. Do we honor the emperor even though he's secular, he's not a believer, and we don't understand what he's doing, and he exiled us, uh, and he may be acting against us? Yet, do we still honor him because he's the ruler that God put there? Yes, but he's not God, and he does not get the same response that God does in reverence and awe and a greater fear, respect for the holy almighty God. You see the difference there? It's bullet point. It doesn't answer everything. It, there's no way it can answer everything. Part of the beauty of the way scripture teaches is it presents for us many times what is a paradox and then leaves it for us. Okay, how do we respond? I need God to respond. There is no way Scripture can give every detail of how we should respond in 21st century America or in other cultures for that matter. But it still speaks. There's still wisdom there for all of us of any type, background, culture, language, you name it. So we still need the Spirit of God actively at work bringing us wisdom so we can then take the next step. Okay, how do I then honor a, a secular, a Gentile, a non-believing uh, leader who is in ultimate authority in places where uh, uh, we, we collide, we conflict. That's where we need the Spirit of God at work. And always, the way to freedom always goes through suffering. And that is our hinge, that's our connecting point to where we will be at next week. Peter leads us 
down the road of suffering. The ultimate example as we go through the fire is Jesus Christ. And all the time, we would rather choose a happier route, an easier way, whether it's you know, respect for authority or submission to authority or any other struggle that we face. We would prefer it to be nice and easy and comfortable. But as we are presented many times through Scripture, just look at Jesus and see what he went through in order to free us. We read those verses this morning. If you were here at the very beginning of, 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 uh, of our service, that he, he truly indeed set us free in ways that are more profound than we have even learned yet. Jesus did that, but it cost him everything. And that brings us to this point in our service, to preparing for communion. What we do intentionally once a month as a part of our worship time is stop and remember what Jesus said to do in remembrance of him. I mentioned at the beginning of the service, the little communion cups that are in the back. Uh, I just want you to be ready that as you open them, uh, <laughs> that just a little you know, FAQ, whatever, uh, it, there is a wafer on the top, okay? There, there are two different uh, flaps that you need to open up as you open it, and you gotta be careful not to squeeze it as you open it or you'll make a mess. If you feel like you can't do it, hand it to a responsible adult near you and maybe they can help. Uh, but on the, the very top of it, you open the top flap and there's a little wafer there, okay? We always take, uh, or it's our practice to take the bread first and then you open up the second flap and then you've got a cup there with juice in it. Um, so that's the cup in the back and just be careful how it is that you approach that and do that. Both of those elements, uh, remind us of Jesus and the Last Supper and the bread that he took and he, as he distributed it to the disciples and what he said and what they did and also the cup that he took. So all of that is a reminder for us that the grace that we have, the ability that we have to meet in fellowship, the greater understanding that we have in, in response to this world around us that doesn't get what it means to follow Jesus the, uh, that doesn't understand the responsibility to serve in freedom. All of these things happen and are changed in our minds and our hearts because of Jesus and what he has done for us. So here's how we approach communion. I'll read a, a short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, then uh, our worship team will come up. Uh, in the past, we've had the table up here. We don't do that right now. So you've got the opportunity right where you're seated to pray, to consider what it means as you remember Jesus, what that means for you, uh, to pray as you do that, to sing. Uh, we've got a couple songs. You've got that time. Uh, even as a family, if you want to talk uh, with your kids, you can do that during this time and explain what's going on and further reflect together. All that is open to you to use during the next couple songs that we have to sing. And then when the songs are done, done, we'll have some announcement time up here. Paul describes the Corinthians, the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, and uh, this is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me, please? And then we'll extend this time for you to use for communion. Lord Jesus, there are many things that we struggle with as believers, as we, as we move forward with our lives, we question or, uh, or just have difficulty giving up or letting go of. And Lord, I think this morning in your passage for us leads us to uncover maybe some of those things. To submit and to live in freedom, Lord, are two things that uh, don't seem to go together, but we know in you they do because we see in your life, Lord, how you came to submit to the Father's plan to give your life freely, willingly. No one took it from you. You've said that. You came to give it. And Lord, we stand, we sit, we, we, we think of that, and nothing short of awe fills our hearts. That you would love us so much that even while we were dead in our sins, your word says, you would still give everything so we could be forgiven to know you. We remember you this morning in the bread that we have to eat, your body broken on that cross, and we remember in that cup your blood poured out, poured out on the ground so that we could be cleansed by your blood and be healed and forgiven and restored and become a child of the living God. Fill our hearts and minds with these thoughts, with your word, as we prepare to take and eat and drink and continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Crossroads, Ruth, FaithWorks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.